0: The following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. And thank you, choir, that uh, uh, last uh, song that you sang. Uh, you did so beautifully and, and well and just wonderful. Thank you. And you're so good. I can't imagine when you other 15 join them for next Sunday, what you're going to sound like, you know. Uh, It would be great. It's Easter Sunday. Everybody ought to be singing. Amen. He's risen. He's not here. He's up. He's about. He's risen. You believe that? Amen. 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 You know, uh, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, there's one word that is pronounced the same way all over the world. You know what that word is? Hallelujah. 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 And they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, Hosanna, hallelujah, and you know I think that's still a good word to say to Jesus today, don't you? How about let's say it, one, two, three, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah Lord Jesus. Well we're going to proceed in our series today, it's not so much a uh, Palm Sunday sermon, although the last two sermons and today and next week, of course, takes place after Palm Sunday, after that day of, of glory and of victory, and then Jesus rode in as a conquering hero on the back of a, a donkey's uh, foal, and the crowds went out to, to welcome him, and they laid their coats down and palm branches on the road ahead of him as he rode in, and he was the, he was the Messiah, and many recognized that. Some didn't, they criticized all that they were doing, the praise and the worship. But Jesus said, hey, if they don't give it to me, the rocks will cry out because they're his too, right? He created the rocks. So, it's good to be able to say hallelujah. Two weeks ago, we were looking at some of the disciples leading up to Easter Sunday morning, how they handled that last week of the life of Jesus. Jesus. And all through the Gospels, you'll read this little statement, his time had not yet come. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff at one time. But he said his time hadn't come. But now his time has come, the time that he uh, came into this world, and that was to die for our sins. We looked two weeks ago at uh, Judas, now He uh, dealt with his unbelief and how he betrayed the Lord Jesus during that week. Then last week we looked at Thomas and how he dealt with doubt. And today we're going to look at Easter with fear. And we're going to be uh, talking about Peter this morning as well. Have you ever been fearful? Yeah, every one of us has at some time or another. I can remember one time feeling fear, Jane and I both, when our children were small, I don't think we taught them this, we may have, but anyway when one or the other did something or said something, perhaps they shouldn't have, they would tell the other one, God's writing that down, <laughs> God's writing that down. So one night when they were older, they were probably going on to college, Jane and I went to Taylor's Walmart and it was winter and it was dark and it was cold. And we got our things, and we were walking out. We wanted to get to the car and come on home. And just as we walked out the door, the sliding doors at Walmart that you go out, we heard some two people behind us. And they were arguing, and they began shouting. And they weren't using the best language either, okay? Saying things to each other. We were walking, and Jane took my right arm, you know, with holding on to my right arm. And I was thinking what's going on? Probably the best thing to do is just keep walking, you know? Because, I mean, they were screaming. They were shouting at each other, profanity, all that kind of thing. And I can handle that. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. But I can handle it. And then all of a sudden, they threw the GD word out. And I don't know what happened to me. But I turned around and said, God's writing that down. And suddenly, the blood flow in my right arm ceased. (laughs) Ah! I could feel the fingernails pressing into my flesh. And I thought, I'm going to be bleeding all over this pavement out here in a second. And I said, come on, come on. But you know what happened? They stopped. They didn't say another word. And so we went on to our car, got in it, and sped home. But there was this fear, you know? I mean, I didn't particularly like, I didn't like what they were saying behind me. And then when I, they took God's name in vain and I said what I did, God's writing that down. Then the, and Jane squeezed my arm. I thought, maybe I shouldn't have done that, you know? And there was this little fear d- rose up in my heart. And I knew she was fearful. Fear, fear. If you know the Bible, you know it's a, there's a good verse in there to pray uh, for each and every one of us. Philippians 4, 5. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be fearful about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. But then there's fear. You know, Fear. Fear can catch you by surprise, like that night in Walmart. I didn't go in there thinking I'm going to be fearful. I didn't even think about fear the whole time I was there. I never thought about it as I was walking out when I was listening to those folks. But then suddenly, at that instant when he said what he did and I said what I did, fear was in my heart. It sneaks up on you before you can pray about it. We all have our fears, and for some of us, maybe all of us, The list can be long, can it not? A whole catalog, and that catalog includes pain, cancer, diabetes, heart attack, accidents, death, unemployment, family problems, kids, grandkids, financial reverses. Goodness, it's almost an endless list. And we fear this as well that others will know that we're fearful. And they may know a little secret that we'll reveal in our fear as well. In other ways, the list really isn't very different from one person to another. We share some common fears, don't we? We fear that life can go terribly wrong. We fear that tomorrow will be worse than today. We fear death. We fear the future because of all the infinite possibilities that Everything and anything can go wrong in our lives or in our family's lives. That's fear. But now let's get to Peter, Simon Peter, Peter's fear. Simon, that was his given name. I'll tell you more about Peter in just a second. That's his birth name. Simon was not the kind of guy that you would ever expect to be fearful or to be scared. On the outside he was strong, confident, and that's the the personality that he exuded. He was always the one who was brave, he was always the one who was bold, compared to all the other disciples in Jesus' band. Think about it for a moment. When Jesus came out to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm going on, they were in the middle of the lake, the sea, Jesus came walking out on the water. Who was it that climbed out of the boat and walked on the water out to Jesus. It was Simon. It was Simon when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It was Simon that said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon your statement, I'm going to build my church on that, that I am the Son of the living God. It was Simon that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when the crowd came to arrest Jesus. He pulled out his knife and he lopped off the ear of a servant of one of the guys there. He was even nicknamed Peter, Simon Peter, Cephas in Greek, which means rock. Jesus saw stability and strength in this guy named Peter. A guy named Simon that he named Peter. If there was anyone you would expect to see Easter coming, it had to be Simon Peter, don't you think? If there was anyone you would expect to see Easter through the eyes of faith, he was the man. And at least he started with courage that last week of the life of Jesus. Now, Peter was one of the closest friends of the twelve disciples to Jesus. There was an inner circle that Jesus had Peter, James, and John. All right? James and John, well, John was probably the closest. In the Gospel of John, a disciple is listed as the disciple that Jesus loved. That's John. He's describing himself. It was John who was seated next to Jesus at the Last Supper, and he laid his head over on Jesus. He was close to him, he loved Jesus. His brother was James. They were fishermen together. They were in business on the Sea of Galilee with Simon Peter. And Jesus brought them in. They were probably closer to him than all the other nine. Anytime you read in the Gospels, it seems like something important Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Peter was a good friend for Jesus to have. Peter, like John, loved Jesus. He stuck closer to him than almost anyone else. Virtually every story that you read in the Gospels about the Lord Jesus Christ, it either includes Peter or he wasn't far away from Jesus in the story. In modern vernacular, in modern slang, I guess you would say they were joined at the hip, so to speak. It was his friendship and love of Jesus that made Peter so courageous that crucifixion Eve. Jesus said at the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me. It was Peter who said, not me. I'll go to the death for you. And what did Jesus tell him? You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. As much as Jesus had warned them about everything because In the months before Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to to, uh, scourge me, then they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm coming back alive, guys. That would occur, but even then, none of the disciples expected it. What started out that Thursday night as a Passover dinner where they would celebrate the deliverance of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out, it ended up in one disaster after another. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. A crowd showed up. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was assaulted. There were threats. There were dangers. They were all scared. Now let's stop for just a moment there, okay? Just keep in mind, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, and he's arrested now, okay? Peter lopped the servant's ear off with his knife. Jesus picked the bloody ear up, put it back on the servant's ear, head, and healed it. But let's take a moment and look at our fears. When you read a newspaper or you watch the news on TV, or you listen to it on your radio, or you watch movies about things like a a terrorist attack, have you ever wondered what you would do in a similar situation? Hmm? You ever thought about that? You hear about it and think, wonder what I would do if that would happen. What would my plan be? How about school shootings, terrible as they are? Have you ever thought, or have you ever thought, this is what I need to tell my kids what to do, if that happens, okay? Or if terrorists captured you, how would you react? I think my first impulse would be, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from this as fast as I can and as far as I can. If I can't escape, then I'm going to try to look inconspicuous and keep my mouth shut. And if those around me were shot, are wounded, they were dying. Maybe I could drop to the floor and pretend I I'm dead. What would you do if you were threatened by terrorists? I think most people would probably comply with them, you know. Say whatever they want you to say. Do whatever they want you to do, skip to heroics and live for another day. What if someone you love was threatened? If the hijacker had a knife to the neck of your spouse or a gun aimed at your child or a bomb that he threatened to use on your friends and your love might be stronger than you fear, who knows? That night that Jesus was arrested, you know what happened with his disciples? The vast majority of them, they ran and hid. But after all, they were ordinary people like you and me. They had jobs like fishing and tax collecting. They absolutely were no match for the temple guards and the soldiers that came out to arrest Jesus that night. It wasn't that I don't think they didn't want to help Jesus, but there was nothing they could do to make a difference then. What's the point of throwing rocks at a well-armed army? hmm? They followed their instincts and they stayed away from Jesus and all of his enemies that night. But Peter was different. Peter was different. He loved Jesus so much that he stuck as close to him as possible even though he knew he was powerless to make a difference. Sometimes I think just being there is all the support you can give a friend or a family member that's in a crisis but it's far better than running away, is it not? So, kudos to Peter on that one. Peter behaved contrary to his instincts of how he was created, how he was geared. For his instincts may have been, i got to get out of here. They're going to kill me along with Jesus. I need to go with all the other disciples, my friends. But he had more courage than I probably would have had if I was there in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. He walked with Jesus right into the home turf of those who wanted him dead. They took Jesus, they bound him, they tied his hands up, led him away to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest of of the temple there in Jerusalem. The man who was going to have the last say about life or death for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Peter was still scared and his actions after that showed that he was. He was scared and courageous are not necessarily contradictory. Heroic soldiers, even, I've talked to one or two of them that's been in combat, and they said they were scared beyond words. Back in World War II, someone interviewed uh, General George Patton, great general. Soldiers under him called him old blood and guts. And he said, it's his guts, but it's my blood he's shedding, you know. But he asked him one time, uh, he, he was praising Patton highly for his courage and bravery. And this is what General Patton said, sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I'm a coward. I've never been within the sound of a gunshot or in sight of a battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. And years later, an autobiography was written about Patton, and it contained this statement that he once made. He said, I learned very early in my life never to let my fears take take control of me. Man, we're all created in complex ways, are we not? We mean well, but then we'll behave badly. We say we love, but we'll act unloving. We're all inconsistent. It may not be right, it may not be good, but it's common for every one of us at times. My guess is that night, if I'm trying to put my feet in Peter's sandals, is that he wanted to be consistent. He wanted to be heroic. He wanted to be courageous, but his fears caught him by surprise. He was a guy from the north of Israel, And a little province called Galilee. He was a man who made his living with his hands. He was a fisherman. He didn't know the ways of the big city of Jerusalem and the people that lived in it. He thought he could handle this this episode here, but he suddenly realized, man, I'm in over my head. I mean, they're doing things I never expected, never even thought about. I, don't even, I can't even understand them with their Jerusalem dialect. And all these people gathered around, they have power. They have authority. All these kind of things. He was in an unfamiliar and sophisticated place. Most were veterans of politics and power. Peter indeed was in over his head. I've known people like that, you know. I can remember a a deacon years ago at a church I was pastoring. His wife found some pornography magazines in his briefcase as he had a good job, well-paid job, and he would travel from place to place selling. And he said, oh, that was just a whim. I quit, you know, it won't ever happen again. And within a year, his wife discovered he'd spend like $10,000 on a trip to all kind of strip joints and places like that. Maybe we don't get something like that, you know. But sometimes we'll say, that won't get me. And then suddenly, we're in the grips of it. We're in the grips of it. I've seen a lot of folks with drug problems like that. Now, please don't misunderstand when I'm talking about Peter. Wrong is wrong and cowardice is cowardice. It's a sad moment when persons of courage and principle are taken down by fear and compromise. You can almost call it the Peter syndrome, you think? Be forewarned that even the strongest of us are vulnerable to the effects of fear. Matthew 26:57 through 58 says those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas the high priest where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled pretty powerful crowd but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest and he entered and he sat down with the guards to watch the outcome For all you baseball fans baseball started this week Professional baseball. If you don't mind, I'm going to use an analogy of that with Peter for a moment, okay? Peter stepped up to the plate. He swung three times. He missed three times. He struck out. He had come to love Jesus and to be close to him and give him support. But instead, Peter gave in to his fear. Now, the first strike, the first pitch came from a servant girl who just sort of lobbed a little passing comment Peter's way. You were with Jesus of Galilee. I remember seeing you. This girl was neither indicting him nor accusing him. It was just a simple ob- observation. He had seen, she had seen Jesus maybe once or twice that week, and each time that she saw Jesus, there was this guy with him. Peter was always with him. He looked familiar. She was just making conversation, I think. But Peter, can you imagine his heart? You were with him. You were with him. And that fear welled up in his heart. He didn't have time to think. He just reacted, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this guy. And there he said it. It was a small, It was a casual remark, but it was a lie. And I imagine in his mind, he said, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But it was too late. He swung and he missed. The temptation is to condemn Peter, but actually, I commend him a little bit, okay? Because probably if I was there, I'd have said that, and I'd have left Dodge, I'd have walked out. I think it showed enormous courage and devotion to have been recognized as a friend of Jesus and then stick around. Good for Peter, he didn't run away. Although he did move over on the other side of the courtyard or somewhere just to be a little safer. A second pitch came to him from another girl. And she was no threat either. You know, she was a servant girl. Most folks in that crowd weren't going to pay much attention to what she did and what she said. But this time it was a curveball because she spoke it to someone else near where Peter was standing. And the words unexpectedly came right at Peter because she said to somebody else, that fellow right there, he was with Jesus. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. So Peter had another chance now. He could have said nothing. Really, he should have just let it go. It didn't say anything. Or he could have redeemed himself from the previous remark and just said, yeah, I was with him. I've been with him for three years. He's a good man. But instead, here's the second denial. I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. He was just starting to get into trouble, and he struck out again, but to his credit, he still didn't run away. He was still a lot closer than the rest of his disciples who never even showed up in the first place, who departed and left Jesus. Then the third pitch, this is major league now, okay? A whole group confronted him at the same time, several people. They had talked, they knew, they said, surely, yeah, you're one of them, you're one of the disciples, you're one of that crowd, for your accent gives you away. You're from Galilee just like the rest of them are. And this time Peter had to swing hard. He had to defend himself big time. You know what the Bible says he did? He began to call down curses on himself and swore to them. Just like that guy at Walmart. I don't know what you're talking about. Mixed with a few profanities. You ever wonder why cornered people turn to profanity to make a point? To be more emphatic about it? But I think instead it gives away their weakness. Everyone probably knew Peter's profanity was proof that he was lying. He not only struck out, but he made a fool of himself doing it. And now the night for Peter was over. It had become a disaster. The Bible says he no more got the words out of his mouth. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, Peter you would disown me three times. Luke wrote it like this. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned. And he looked at Peter. Both Matthew and Luke said, and Peter ran out of the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Jesus had warned him. He told him this would happen. And Peter meant so well. He started so strong. He had such courage, but fear won the night. Man, that's sad, is it not? Peter's fear had blurred his vision of Jesus and what was about to happen to him. He was an eyewitness to divine history that was taking place that night, but he blinked with fear rather than focusing on faith. If this were the end of the story, It would be discouraging for all of us, right? It would be a tragedy. But we need to hear the rest of the story. I think it's even fascinating that we have this story in three out of the four Gospels. Because if you think about it, how would that story get in the Bible anyway? Who else heard it? Who else saw it? Other religions, you know, they paint their heroes very uh, courageously or idealistically here. But the Bible always tells the whole story of the characters in it, warts and all, just as they are. The most likely way I think this story got into the Bible, into the Gospels, I think Peter told it to them. I'm not sure how anyone else would know if people hadn't told others about it. I don't think I would have told that I denied Jesus. Would you? But Peter wanted all of us fearful folks to know that he was scared and that he struck out. But he also wanted us to know that Jesus still loved him. And Jesus forgave him. I told you this just a few weeks ago. After Jesus rose from the dead, some of the disciples, including Peter, went to the Sea of Galilee back to their old ways, the old lifestyle. And they were fishing. Morning came. Someone was standing on the shore and he waved at him. Someone recognized him. It's Jesus. And they started rowing in, but they weren't rowing fast enough. And Peter jumped in, just like Peter, and swam to the beach. And after breakfast, Jesus and Peter were sitting there. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times. Jesus told him to take care of his sheep, to take care of those three strikeouts, those three denials. Peter was back in the ministry. And he went on to become one of the greatest heroes of the Easter story and of the Christian faith. He entered the empty tomb that day. He went into it. He was one of the the first to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And following the days ahead, he took on the powerful authorities there in Jerusalem, preaching boldly of Jesus and in his name. He boldly went, uh, spoke about him. He even wrote two of the 27 books in the New Testament. And the Gospel of Mark is likely the sermons that Peter preached to the little church in Rome that Mark took down and made into a book. It isn't that he was no longer afraid. Fear has a way of coming back in different outfits and scaring us all over again. But Peter learned, Peter learned, Peter learned that Jesus is greater than his fear. You know what we call that? Faith. Faith. Faith grows more faith. And it will grow stronger the more we use it. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me close. I could leave this sermon right here, but let's make it a little more practical about overcoming our fear, okay? That last week in the life of Jesus, he was going to the temple every day and teaching. And one of those days, he said, I am the name of God. I am. I am the true vine. I'm the vine. Those who believe in me are the branches. We're to make fruit. But I think this is even more important than the fruit. For ten times Jesus said, depending on what translation, remain in me. But I like the old King James where it says, abide. Don't you like that name? That word? That's just a little more warm, isn't it? Abide those who abide in me 10 times if you abide in me, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, I think Jesus has said, come, live in me. He invites us make my home your home. Odds are you know what it means to be at home somewhere at your house, right? to be home is to feel safe. the re- your residence is a place of refuge and security. It's a place where you can feel comfortable. You could pad about just wearing your slippers and your pajamas if you want to, right? To be home is to be familiar. When you enter the door, you don't consult the blueprint to find the kitchen, do you? You know where it is. Our aim, our only aim, is to be home in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He's not a roadside park, He's not a hotel room. He's our place of refuge and security. Christ is our home. He's our permanent mailing address. He is our place of refuge. We are comfortable in the presence, free to be to be ourselves with him. We know our way around in him. We know his heart and we can know his ways. We rest in him. We find our nourishment in him. His roof is made out of grace and it protects us and provides for us. His walls are providence surround us and the fireplace his fireplace it warms us during the cold days of our winters now here's an image that will help and i'm closing remember when you were a dad or if you're a dad now and you got a little four-year-old son or daughter and you go down to the crowded street what do you do take my hand hold on to my hand Hold on to me. Dad doesn't say, Do you memorize the map? He doesn't say, Man, take your chances avoiding the traffic as you go across the street. He doesn't say, Well, let's just see if you can find your way home by yourself. The good father gives the child one responsibility hold on to my hand. God does the same with us. Hold on to my hand. Abide, live, reside in me. Don't enhance your anxiety with the fear of not fulfilling them. Your goal is not to know the details of the future. We cannot know them. Our goal, our one and only goal, is to hold on to the hand Of the one who does and never will let go. All the other things will come. Abide in him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the day. And I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that your heart is big enough for every one of us to find a home. I thank you for your nail-scarred hand that we could take hold of and you will never let go thank you. What security. And we need that because life can be fearful, and it can catch us by surprise just like it did Peter. But I thank you too. I thank you too that we can have our moments on the Sea of Galilee. Do you love me? You love me? You love me? Then come home. Father, I thank you for the home we have in you. And there may be those a day Who haven't found that home and life is more fearful more insecure i pray father they'll find their way home today just by faith in jesus that he's your son he took our sins upon himself and died the death we should have and yet he arose victorious from the grave so bless this time of decision i pray in jesus name amen The other pastors are away this weekend, as Mike said, but if there's a decision or something you want to come to speak to me about, I'll be right here. You come forward. Or if you want to come and just pray. However God leads you, you come. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.